You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 347, Scottish Brewery launches pink beer for girls. What the flip? Panels of experts. They're not just for football. And the decline and the decline of the new musical express, NME RIP. It's all coming up after the glorious goddess that is Grace Jones and Slave to the Rhythm. Love to the river. Love to the river. Sing. 
another of one of those where does the time go moments. Um, she'll be 70 years old this I year. I can't believe that. That's crazy. Produced by Trevor Horn in 1985, Grace Jones and Slave to the Rhythm. It's, a, it's, it's superb, frankly. And if I look, if I look like mm. that at her age hula hooping, then I think I've done pretty well, really. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. This is episode 347. I'm Terence Stackham, and she's no slave to anyone's rhythm. It's, <laughs> it's Juliet Harris. Hey, you can't give a good woman down. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Charles, you're a woman. Um, yes, uh, this is true. And I'm sure you spend many a waking hour thinking to yourself, if only I didn't have to buy into the patriarchy when buying alcoholic drinks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm fairly sure you've yeah. been craving a beer which would appeal to what I can only describe as womankind. Of course, what women what women want is a beer, especially for them, full of sparkly pinkness with perhaps a handful of glitter to really underline the girl of it all. Uh, this week, the beer company Brewdog has attempted some satirical marketing, uh, seemingly somehow attempting to highlight the gender pay gap by promoting their new beer, a pink IPA for women. And this all probably sounded like a terrific idea to some people in their marketing department with their flip charts and ironic spectacles and beards. Jules, will you be first in the queue at the off-licence to purchase your very own crate of Brewdog Pink IPA? Well, in fact, my alternative plan is to go to the head of um, to the, the the head office of Brewdog uh, yeah. with my pink toolkit and pink hangers <laughs> and the hammers and smash their windows in instead. I mean, so when this very first was announced, for a brief, I have to confess, for a brief second, I was taken in by it because I read the line about how they're selling it at eighteen percent less to women to highlight the gender pay gap, which I thought that was pretty neat. Mm. Having said that, um, the foreword. <laughs> That will be go- that will be gone on my gravestone after I've passed away. Why make it pink? And that's the thing, really. Oh, we're going to be very ironic. Yes, it's still pink, though, isn't it? I the, I'm a big fan of the Pink Stinks campaign. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. Basically, no. why make all girls' toys pink? Mm. The kind of the idea that you know, why do we have to? Why do they know anything involving women? Does it have to be pink? when you didn't ask anyone whether or not they liked pink, that really makes me cross. I must admit, and I do think this is this is um, ill-advised. I'm enjoying the quote very much, by the way. The fact that this is from Sarah Warman, Brewdog Global Head of Marketing, oh. for whom I have a small amount of sympathy <laughs> that she was sent out to bat for this. But she said, uh-huh. the fact that the, the gender gay pa- sorry, the gender pay gap, although I quite like the idea mm, of a gay pack. Yeah. Um, that, hey, that's me. Uh, the fact that the gender pay gap is still an issue in 2018 shows that a lot of lip service is being paid, but not enough action is being taken to tackle inequality. With Pink IPA, we are making a statement the only way we know how with beer the love of beer is not gendered beer is universal beer is for everyone why make it pink i just i just find this um well i just find this to be as uh, as irritating as as brew dog usually is and in the meantime <coughs> excuse me let's get to the heart of the matter hmm. 
As Guardian article goes on to say, BrewDog has disclosed a 2.8 median gender gay pay gap, and not more of that gay pap, mm. in favour of men across its global business. You haven't been on the pink IPA before coming well, on this podcast. No, I haven't, although I wish I had now, frankly. Mm. Maybe it would make me more of a woman. Mm. It is yet to file its official figure for the UK, where most staff are employed. Um, the Aberdeenshire-based company says it will donate 20% of sales of bottles of its beer for girls and punk IPA to causes that fight against gender equality, perhaps shutting down Brewdog, can I suggest at this point? <laughs> um, the blue branded punk IPA will be sold at the regular price. A discrepancy the brewer says it hopes will trigger questions about why women continue to earn less than their male counterparts. For me, it triggers one question why make it pink? I just, I, oh, I just, I, I've just had enough of this nonsense, Terence. And the thing that makes it so irritating, because it's so disingenuous, because mm. it's trying to dress itself up as fighting for gender equality by trying to flog me pink beer. I don't care if it is 18% less. And actually, I would prefer it if the beer was actually pink. I love a pink lemonade. And, and yet, you know, I've been sold beer in a pink bottle for 18% less to fight inequality. You know what? I'll buy normal beer and I'll donate to, uh, to, to you know, a women's refuge instead i think that's a much better way of fighting inequality and actually i will not be buying brew dog products again and they're not very nice anyway brew dog say the idea of the the, care, <laughs> the the idea of the pink beer was uh quote a send-up of the lazy marketing efforts targeting the female market but whatever that is the yes, thing, I, the, I, I, somewhat lost in translation yeah i wonder though whether they may feel it's all worth it because their brand recognition has gone through the roof this week and although it's all gone a bit chivalne sharp and perfect curve i imagine there are brand consultants all over the world who ache for such coverage that BrewDog has received this week and the you know the field of uh, I understand I'm not I don't, I don't drink alcohol so I don't I'm not an expert mm, on this mm. tool but uh, the field you're of, not missing out as far as BrewDog's <laughs> concerned I must admit so, so yeah so you say uh, the it's field, not pleasant it's not really? even very nice beer that's what I don't mm. think it is it's it's I just it's never really appealed to me I think that the field of um, micro brewing and local brewing is is, mm. is very crowded so just you know just maybe the BrewDog people are, are celebrating their notoriety which would be well and, and that's that's always been mm. they've always been a bit tedious and they've always well the fact that they call their 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 sort of their main beer punk ipa oh. it, it is this kind of you know that wacky bearded mm. hipster with the glasses and the skateboard they've always been like this i mean i have to say my only regret around brewdog is that when they put an offer out for their shares in 2009 mm. <laughs> and i read the prospectus at work that i didn't buy any because they would have been worth a phenomenal mm. amount now apparently they have done extremely well and actually i I suppose in a way we have to kind of tip a hat to them and say that they did they were there actually at the very beginning of the craft beer revival here but they were one of the first people that were there and spotted that mm. it was going to work and actually you know as we move into a post-brexit world you know i suppose we should celebrate british industry success stories so so whilst i have been very eye-rolly about this <laughs> yes they have done well for themselves but it just it just is a kind of typical hipster-esque tying of themselves in knots i think mm. over this you know ironic satire pink beer don't make it pink. That's the best way to satirise the fact that, that pink stuff, you know, people always go down this pink cliche route. Don't. Do something different. It used to be that panels of experts were only to be found analysing football matches. Now they're everywhere. There's a panel for everything. Uh, that's next after Miss Dynamite.
Especially for International Women's Day this week. I have to say, I do like this a great deal. I, I've forgotten all about it. And a, a, a friend of mine called Grace said, oh, feel free to add to my International Women's Day Spotify playlist. So I so I had a look, and that was one of the first songs on it, and it just reminded me of how much I love that and how, well, punchy it is, I suppose, perhaps literally in places, but it is it is very, um, it's very powerful. Um, Miss Dynamite star, or Ms. Dynamite star, uh, but rather briefly, mm. but she was extremely good, I think, and so I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. And it's kind of no Fs given attitude. That was uh, Ms. Dynamite and put him out. About her star um, rising only briefly. Um, only two albums. Last one was 2005. And I was researching her current whereabouts yesterday. And I found an mm. interview from two years ago, 2016, where she was talking in an interview about an imminent a, a new album. But on the other hand, the domain... I thought, well, I'll go to her website, see what she's up to. The domain for her website has expired. Well, that's so, not good news. That's is it? not good news. You know, that's a, so. I hope all is well with Miss Miss Dynamite. Yeah, so, so do I. That's a, that's a very powerful tune, and it's something mm. that I know friends of mine have played their teenage daughters as well. Which is, mm. I think that that's a you know that's a really good thing to have produced a piece of music that you can use for that. Oh, very much so. Uh, whenever I see Danny Murphy and Jermaine Genus teamed up as the experts on Match of the Day. I'm always reminded of Statler and Waldorf, the Muppet characters. <laughs> who would, they were the guys who would heckle at the rest of the cast. Oh, 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 yes, them. From, yeah, from the, you know, the security of their, their private box above the stage. Now, like Statler and Waldorf, Danny Murphy and Jermaine Genus specialise in being critical of what they've just seen, and some would say Murphy and Genus are, are a pair of Muppets uh, themselves. But the, the birth of the football panel was when ITV for the 1970 World Cup engaged Malcolm Allison, Derek Dugan, Paddy Crerand and Bob McNabb for... Wow, that's a bit of a random mix, isn't it? It really was. It was the first time this had ever been tried. They got paid 500 quid each to sit in the studio in London and moan and groan (laughs) about the action out in Mexico, uh, criticise England's performances and make politically incorrect jokes about Russians and Romanians. Uh, Since then, panels of experts have become the norm for most sports events, with usually former participants in the sports, retired players, moaning that the game isn't as good as when they played it. But now, though, we've seen a massive expansion of panels into all forms 
of life at the mm. Oscars last week. You you have to employ a panel of experts, it seems, to give a critique on what dresses uh, the women are wearing. And after the weekly horror show that is Prime Minister's Questions, mm. uh, the major news networks, they all then hand over to a panel of three experts, uh, usually outspoken MPs who've burnt bridges with their hopes of advancement, <laughs> yes, and uh, they review Mrs May's or Mrs. <laughs> Mr Corbyn's performances. There's a panel for everything, Jules, but isn't it a case of too much heat and not enough light? Well, I, uh, we were told you know, by a chap a couple of years ago that the, the British public were fed up with experts, So, mm. but apparently that does not seem to be the case because they are everywhere, aren't everywhere. they? Um, experts, ev- suddenly experts everywhere to use that Toy Story meme that, that goes around a lot. Um, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. You're very, you're characteristically perceptive or, you know, all heat and little light mm. um, assessment there. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's difficult, isn't it? And, and sometimes I think having analysis of things things can be really enlightening and and of course i have to you know I, there's some level of analysis for a living sorry in, in my job that i do for a living so I, i'm always a fan of analyzing things and thinking about things because i think that can then often help us kind of decide where we go next so i'm not anti-analysis per se or anti-experts per se but you know sometimes they do add things and sometimes they don't and i think that we've talked before about kind of footballer experts and football pundits and it does feel in some circumstances that rather than picking people who are good they pick their mates or people they know and i think actually when you get panels like that that can be very frustrating particularly panels i liked your point about the idea the pmqs and the idea that mps that have burnt their bridges mm. end up that is so true but i think as well it shows the difficulty and the problems with, with some panels in that if you had a panel that was relatively non-partisan and mm. relatively kind of objective then you would get i think some level of reasonable sensible an- analysis but the problem is is that when you get panelists that so obviously have their own agenda and that everything is filtered through their own agenda i mean the the guardian do do i know uh, sort of online panels sometimes not not video but kind mm. of you know writing analyzing big speeches and because they pick their sort of columnists or star contributors you know, I could write what mm. they're going to say. So mm. I will know what George Monbiot thinks about something. I can write what Owen Jones thinks about something. I can write the Polly Toynbee piece. I can write the Matthew Dancona piece and the Kate Maltby piece and, you know, mm. the various people that they use because they, their views are already preset. And although that's the most that's mostly prevalent in politics, you know, it's the same in football as well sometimes. There are certain players who I think still exhibit certain biases towards certain teams or managers or players. And... There are very few experts or pundits in any on any of these panels that I feel genuinely look at things objectively. And if they did, I would actually find that quite enlightening and quite and quite enjoyable. But I, I quite like Danny Mills, I must admit, as far as pundit goes. Mm. I always feel he's fairly balanced. But I, you know, I, my my difficulty is not necessarily that we are asking people to analyse things, but that the analysis is often so poor because it is is not done by the best people. It's done by who they can be bothered to try and get. And those people, it's often so informed by their own prejudices and kind of sort of pre-packed views. In many ways, I think the heirs to those original 1970 World Cup waspish panellists are the yeah. out, outspoken judges on shows like The X Factor or Britain's Got Talent. In fact, mm. if anyone can find footage of Malcolm Allison laying into footballers in those early days in 1970, you would find, I think, a direct link to the you know the current yeah, holder absolutely. of the throne, Simon Cowell. Um, 
I was thinking... Possibly the only time ever that Malcolm Allenson and Simon Cowell have been <laughs> mentioned in the same sentence, I think. If ever, if ever Simon Cowell comes to realise that his glory days with X Factor or Britain's Got Talent are over, it's, it's frighteningly all too easy to see him creating some sort of new football knockout competition so he can sit at a desk alongside mm. Cheryl Cole making barbed and uninformed <laughs> comments on aspiring footballers. And uh, I, suppose, I presume Cheryl Cole would have, you know, particularly... Sort of, she would have a pro Newcastle, anti Arsenal, <laughs> yes, and Chelsea bias. I suspect it's it's an incredibly rare event when anyone, as you say, on these panels, gives a substantial insight into what we've seen. I often think that, uh, of these. It's back to. Um, 2010 it was, the, the, the South Africa World Cup. The BBC had a panel um, after uh, an England game. They had Alan Shearer and Roy Hodgson. And uh, on it, uh, and they brought Danny Baker on, and he was terrific. He he, he was outspoken. I bet he was. I bet he was great. Outspoken, funny. You know, he didn't care what, what he said. And so, of course, they never invited him back again. No, of course uh, not, uh, you know. because he had no horse in the race. That's the thing. Mm. That's why he was so. And we've often talked about this before: the curse of match of the day and the idea that no one wants to upset anybody mm. on the charity golf circuit. And I do think that you know people like Danny Baker, who are enthusiastic and passionate and knowledgeable about football mm. without necessarily being you know involved in the football circus those are the sort of people that i kind of want to hear from in the way so so whilst we say that you know that i was joking about the public being sick of experts mm. but in a way sometimes the most interesting insights from can come from people who are one degree removed so people that are experts in the sense that they are you know hugely passionate and knowledgeable but not necessarily in a position where they're meant to be an expert if you see what i mean so i wonder that's a really good point about danny Baker, who i do really like i wonder i wonder if there is a kind of a the way forward is to kind of go for what my old boss would refer to as enthusiastic amateurs. Maybe that is maybe that is a way forward. The Danny Baker clip is on YouTube and it's worth watching. It's about five, seven minutes, something like I'll that. I'll dig that out. I and think I'd like to see that. Twice, as Danny Baker's just being himself and saying, you know, his, his views about football, you can see the fear in the eyes of the people on the panel. And quite, I, mean, I do mean that quite genuinely, because twice in this um, five or seven minutes, Alan Shearer says to him, have you been drinking? I'll have a pint of what he's had. Because he's oh, rocking, so he's rocking the boat. Yeah. That is so That's horrible bullying mm. behaviour. doesn't surprise me with Alan Shearer, to be honest, I must admit. But it's, yeah, it's a typical kind of, you know, undermining behaviour. Because, you know, I think that Danny ought to have Alan's job, frankly. <laughs> so, and maybe Alan's thought realised that deep down as well. Unfortunately, Bland wins out every time. Now, according to the New Musical Express, they're expanding their digital platforms. According to everybody else, they're shutting down their print edition. Uh, well, that's next, after the Wandering Hearts. I wish I could bite my tongue Fall asleep, no damage done Keep the peace in the dark I wish I could, but I know I can't Next to you, the light stays on Next to you, but miles apart Oh, to break the spell of a lonely heart I wish I could
Decker last year, apparently 26 minutes after uploading their first demo to SoundCloud. So quite amazing. From their new album, Wild Silence, that's The Wandering Hearts, and Wish I Could. Jules, it's two and a half years now since you and I sat here and discussed the New Musical Express when it switched in September 2015 to becoming a free publication. Uh, I can't believe it was that long ago, to be honest. I can't believe that we've been doing this for so long. <laughs> no, I know. It I fe- mean that nicely, but you know what I, I mean? I do. I, I couldn't believe it was that long ago either. It felt like a, a negative at the time, despite much ballyhoo about improved circulation statistics. The fact that it was only available in peculiar locations was always going to be troublesome. I remember back in 2015, I, I had to go to the store Top Man to go and pick up a copy. And since then, I've seen oh, it. Oh, uh, yes. I, I think... I I might have got mine from somewhere similar, I think, or possibly a railway station, I think. I can't remember. Yes, I've seen it at railway stations and oddly in, in a cardboard stand in the lobby of a, a local Sainsbury's supermarket, uh, uh, <laughs> sitting alongside the local free newspaper. It's quite bizarre. I think we both felt that the, the new slimline print edition was a far cry from the New Musical Express's glory days from the 70s to perhaps the 90s. This week, the enemy announced that the print run is finished. Um, they, they did try to dress this up by announcing that they were extending their digital strategy. Mm. However, it's online only for the enemy now. It's known that uh, many already established music and arts websites struggle to survive with paltry advertising income yeah, absolutely. And without a paywall, little other income. Uh, this is the end for the enemy, isn't it, Jules? 
It is. It is. I'm afraid. And and actually, I think we I think we discussed at the time mm. when it when it went free that that probably was the end, and that has proven to be the case. I think. And and unfortunately, I think the 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 golden era of the enemy had long since passed. Anyway, I think partly because you know there are there are problems with print journalism generally at the moment. While print journalism is experiencing difficulties, and you know the online model, as you say, is just it just doesn't make money. It doesn't make money in the way that magazines do, and or did rather. And they kind of don't anymore, really. I don't really know what the answer is because people still want to consume great writing. I mean, I still subscribe to a couple of magazines and I very much enjoy them. And I still do buy the buy the music papers the the the, the monthlies now so mm. mojo and uncut which i enjoy and i think their new reviews are very enjoyable and they have good cover mount cds which is how i often get a lot of a lot of new music i used to do that with word magazine when it when it existed mm. as well and i do feel that there is I don't know whether this is me, you know, the young people, this is me being out of touch and young people consume their music differently. But I enjoy those monthly music magazines, but they do, they are weighted towards the past rather than the future. I mean, you know, I, I remember one of them celebrating, you know, sort of marking the death of Prince by putting Bob Dylan on their cover. So, I mean, there is very much a kind of a, there is very much a sort of a backwards looking kind of, um, a backwards looking kind of vibe to them although it does go to how time moves on and how old we all are that the smiths and Britpop are now seen as heritage acts and heritage movements but um but i i feel that there is i do feel there, there must be a gap for some sort of magazine about um about music you know about, about new music what's the name of john robb's thing that we that we um oh, louder than war yes mm. and i i haven't seen that no i haven't I mean, I don't know if it stopped publishing. I think they were always kind of limited in how many the run that they mm. did. But I, um, I was a very big W. H. Smith when I used to work in Tenterden, where I used to be able to find things. Mm. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I do feel there is a bit of a gap for something that focuses on new music. Although, like I say, maybe I'm out of time, and that's how that's how, you know young people discover their music online. But having said that, you know, older people discover new music too. I don't want to get to this situation where you know, once I'm over the age of thirty, I'm not allowed to find music anymore. I don't want to spend the rest of my life listening to bob dylan you know it would be nice to to find new things so i still think there's an appetite for that and i think people are misguided if they assume that that attitude only, attitude only exists in in younger people and that appetite's only for the for the for the younger because i know lots of people who are you know my age and in some cases you know significantly older who um who still want to find new music so so i'm sorry that the enemy has kind of outlived its usefulness mm. and I, you know it was a huge thing to me when i was younger but it was very telling that most of the people that commented on how much the enemy meant to them I was amongst the younger of those commentators, mm, commentators if you see what I mean. So, mm. so I would like, you know, I wonder if there is a market or a gap for some sort of source about new music that, you know, that can cater for slightly older people as well as younger people. I think the decline of the NME, um, it, it's too safe a bet to reason it's all, all due to the internet and everything being available for free. But I wonder if it goes deeper than this altogether. And I'm not sure there is this market that you're asking for. And I'll tell you why. I think... Or, or, or give my opinion why the enemy in particular, I think, was at its most crucial and popular when there was a movement in the air, whether it was the hippie area, era, um, prog rock, then particularly punk, and later the enemy had a kind of political edge. But these days, young people don't seem, in large numbers anyway, to 
associate with protest or genres or movements. Many young people I know go to gigs with their parents, unheard of well, uh, yes, in my although day. In, although, interestingly, I'm going to push back a little hmm. bit on this, in that we had the sort of Corbyn moments of last summer where young people sort of enthusiastically hmm. voting for him in huge numbers. And actually, the grime for Corbyn movement was quite a big thing. I mean, I, I, talking to people that are younger than hmm. me, it was pretty enormous. And so people like Stormzy, and Skepta and people like that were, were, you know, very much aligning with him. So I don't think it's entirely fair to say that young mm. people aren't into movements and aren't into protests because I think I think they potentially are. And actually, I don't know. I mean, this just goes to show how, you know, how out of the loop I was with the NME. You know, if it was still available in shops, I probably would have bought it around that time to see if that was the case or not, because you would hope that the enemy would be covering grime because it is a huge movement amongst young people. Amongst young people. So mm. I do I do see a point, but I don't I do think there is it is there. I think there is an appetite, um, sort of an appetite and attitude there for young people to, 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 to embrace those sort of things. Mm. OK, well, some people will say, but with the decline of these papers and magazines, mm. how can we possibly get to know about new and independent music? <laughs> and of course, you have the answer, Jules. I do, yes. And God bless you for this thinly veiled um, advertorial <laughs> that that last topic just was. This is infotainment, man. Um, now, I do a show mm. called Indie Wonderland on the radio. It is something of a cult concern, I have to be honest, but who knows? Maybe one day it will take off. Mm. Um, I do this, by the way, so to say about new music, I still do listen to Six Music a lot. And the, and, and mm. the, the, to stop off to say about Six Music, Six Music was faced with near closure a few years ago. It was announced mm. uh, uh, that, you know, that it was in, in the cuts. Um, the, Potential cuts, and funnily enough, it just goes to show that it wasn't not very successful at that point because there was no audience for it. It hadn't been very well promoted or very well advertised because mm. since then, its listenership has virtually doubled and it has millions of listeners now and it does really well. So it makes you wonder. The enemy got caught in this bind, I think, whereby they ended up going free because they couldn't they couldn't make it pay anymore. But actually it made it far, in a way, weirdly, far harder to pick up. Mm, if you're a person much. that buys music magazines, mm. it's much easier for me to go into the shop and buy it rather than to think, oh, where do they... I mean, they, the, my record shop, the, my local record shop in Bex Hill, they do stock it in there, mm. so I used to get it from them. But otherwise, you know, I, it's just it's stressful to think, you know, where can I find this? But anyway, you needn't be stressed. Mm. You can listen to Indie Wonderland every week on Barricade Radio from 8 until 10pm, barricaderadio.com, or use the TuneIn app, and and, um, and yeah, you can you can come in and listen to us. And uh, I I try and do. And again, I find it sort of tricky because I have to find my new music from somewhere mm. to play on the shows. So I do often sort of do online trawls. And actually, I do miss the enemy in the sense mm. that they used to have a very good section, even towards the end, called Radar, that was their kind of young bands or, or, or new band section. And that was really really good. So I am sorry that doesn't really you know exist. Anymore. I don't know if it does exist online. I might have to have a look online. But um, but yeah, I try and I try not to fall down these sort of nostalgia heritage trap although i do play quite a lot of music that is older i suppose because it's music from my collection but um yeah if you if you like anything indie or alternative or you know a bit weird sometimes then i would recommend that you come along and listen to my show and we'll look after you eight to ten on wednesday evenings on barricade yes ends yes thanks to you for listening and thanks to super executive producer rona Absolutely. And to play us out, Jules, quite a reworking of an Ivor Cutler song. 
Yes, I, so it's International Women's Day and I felt that having completely forgot to market on Indie Wonderland this year, which I feel dreadful about, <laughs> I thought that it would probably be good to market here instead. So thank you for uh, being the last refuge <laughs> of an International Women's Day scoundrel. And uh, I I really like this. It was it was played to me by somebody a few years ago and it's a cover of the, the Ivor Cutler tune. It's Jim O'Rourke, who I think most people will probably associate with Sonic Youth. And I just really love this. It's... It, it, doesn't do a lot but what it does do I think is grand and it is quite compelling in its own way so um, this is Jumo Rook's version of Women of the World
You have been listening to a DAC Media Production.